Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father in heaven, as we consider your word again this morning, we commit ourselves to you. You promised to speak to us, and you said that where two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst. Thank you for that promise and the fulfillment of it. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have uh, gone through the Bible, reading through it, and you come across those uh, list of names that we called genealogy? And how many of you have skipped over those lists because you didn't seem to get much out of it? Any of you? Can I see your hands? The majority of you. Well, let me say this to you, that nothing in the scriptures is put there because God needed to fill up pages. Nothing is found in the Bible because God uh, needed to insert something that uh, just took up space. Everything in the scriptures has a purpose. The problem is that many times we don't understand that there's a purpose, and so when we come to those spots, we skip over them. And uh, there's so much in it. For example, during the gold rush, there was a certain uh, uh, team that had bought a, a cave, and they dug and dug and dug and dug and dug and scraped and dug and dug and never found anything. They sold the case for a few, few dollars. I don't remember the price, was a very minimal sum. The people who took it over began to dig, and just two inches from where the last group had left off, they found a vein of gold that made that cave worth millions. How far were they? Two inches. And many times you and I, when we're studying the Bible, we're that close and don't realize that there's much gold to be found if we just dig a little deeper. So I'm going to ask you to dig with me tonight, uh, this afternoon. The genealogy I want you to look at is found in Matthew. What book? Matthew. Matthew. And look at it in Matthew chapter 1. And in that particular book, there's a list of names. Uh, you'll find also, Matthew, by the way, takes, uh, he's basically a Jew, uh, and he takes it from Abraham. Luke, who's a Gentile, goes all the way back to Adam. Matthew it, uh, begins with the, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he starts with the begots. And he says, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judas and his brethren. And Judas begot Phares and Zarah of Tamar, and Phares begot Eshron, and Eshron begot Aram. And Aram begot Amimadad, and Amimadad begot Naasun, and Naasun begot Solomon, and Solomon begot Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and by now you're bored. Right? But listen. <laughs> listen. It says then, And Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon, and of her that had been the wife of Urias. Now, I don't know if you've noticed something very interesting here. That in this Jewish list of great men, you find the four names that are not masculine. There are four names that are 
names of women. And if you notice, it says that uh, Tamer was number one in verse three, and uh, then uh, you find the next one is uh, Rahab, then you find uh, Ruth, and uh, finally you find one that uh, it says who had been the wife of Urias. These particular four women are not uh, considered to be of Jewish descent, of Hebrew descent. Uh, there are women who are Gentile women, or what we would call in those days pagan women. Here's a list of, of great men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, etc. Uh, and in the midst of that, you find four names of Gentile women. Now, it's interesting that you don't find Sarah, or you don't find uh, Rachel, you don't find uh, Leah, etc., but rather, or Rebecca, but rather you find Ruth, and you find Rahab, and you find Tamer, and you find the one whose name is not mentioned because apparently uh, this name has fallen into um, disrepute. And so it just simply says, she that had been the wife of Urias. Why does God put those four women in that list? And what does that have to do uh, with you and with me today? I want us to consider this, uh, that the reason for the list that are given here is so that you can be sure that the right Messiah has come. God had promised in Genesis 3.15 that the seed would come and through the, through the woman that the Messiah would come and be the deliverer of the world. And so right from the beginning, there was a, tr a tracing, a tracking of the seed. And in, in order to make sure that it, that it was the right seed, the right Messiah, the right Christ, it had to be traced so that anybody who was claiming to be the Messiah, had to prove by the fact that they came from that genealogy. Let me explain what I'm saying. Presently today as we speak, there are four people who are claiming to be Christ. I, I know, for example, there's one who is a Puerto Rican uh, who lives in Miami, and he claims to be the Christ. There's one in Japan that I know of who's claiming to be the Christ right now. There's one in India who's claiming to be the Christ. So I know of, of three presently who are claiming to be the Christ. And if you uh, go back in uh, your recent memory, you remember that there are other people who claim to be the Christ. Uh, David Koresh, uh, there was, of course, Jim, Jim Jones who claimed to be the Christ. In other words, there are several people who claim to be the Christ. Now, obviously, since it says in the Bible that the Messiah had to come through the line of the Jew, and since it says that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem, well, the Puerto Rican doesn't qualify. Is that true? He's born in the wrong place. Nor does the Japanese qualify. Nor does the guru from India qualify. So God locked it in, in prophetic language, to guarantee that if you place your faith in somebody, you would place your faith in the right one. What do you say? All right? So now you understand why genealogy. Because it had to be traced, and it had to be evident that this who claimed to be the Messiah truly was the Messiah.
And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ was that Messiah. Amen. Now, having said that then, let's consider some of these girls and why is it that they're mentioned, uh, in, especially in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's first turn to Tamer. We find Tamer there in verse 3. It says, Judas begot Phares and Zarah Tamer. Now, Tamer we find in the, in the Scripture back in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, and you'll find her introduced in chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38, you'll find uh, the mention of this young woman. And here is what uh, is mentioned. By the way, it's interesting that chapter 38 is kind of a, uh, a, uh, a pause, as it were. Um, because 37, 36 is speaking about uh, Joseph and uh, the experience Joseph was having. All of a sudden, there's a break uh, from Joseph, and it goes to chapter 38. And then after chapter 38, chapter 39 goes back to Joseph. Well, this particular chapter is introduced because something is happening that is very, very unusual. Judas, verse 1, Judah is one of the sons of uh, Jacob. And uh, according to the scriptures, the, the uh, Jews, or in those days were called Hebrews, uh, the Hebrews were not supposed to intermarry with the Canaanite people, or the people of the land. In fact, if you remember, when it came time for Isaac to have a wife, Abraham told his servant, I want you to make sure that you don't get a wife for my son from the Canaanites. I want you to make sure you go back to my father's house and find a, a wife for him there. And so, uh, through divine providence, God blessed that servant, and he found the wife of uh, Isaac and brought her back. All right? So they were not supposed to intermarry with the local indigenous people. But Judah departed from that. And the scripture says then that uh, he went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was uh, Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain what? Canaanite, you see that? Whose name was Shua. And uh, he took her and went in unto her, and she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. Then she conceived again, and the second son was Onan. And then she conceived yet again, and the third one was Shelah. Now on verse 5. Now, Judah then took a wife for his firstborn son Ur, whose name was? There she is, Tamer. Tamer then, uh, the Bible says, was married then to Ur, but Ur, the Bible says, was a wicked person. What kind of person? Wicked. wicked person in the sight of the Lord. The scripture says then that uh, because he was a wicked person, uh, he died. Well, in those days when uh, you were married to somebody and you happened to have a brother and you died, then your brother was supposed to take up after you and have children from the uh, the wife of your brother. And so Onan then was supposed to take up where Ur left off. And the scripture says then that Onan uh, defrauded this young lady, Tamer, and because he defrauded Tamer, he also died. So how many boys are now dead? Two, Two boys. How many did he have? Three. Three. Now I want you to notice uh, Judah's uh, understanding of this. Uh, notice 
verse 11. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house. You see that? Do what? Remain a widow at thy father's house till Sheila, my son, be grown. All right? So he's sending her back where? Back home to her daddy's home. But according to the culture, once a girl got married to the fellow, then she was part of the new family. So she was not supposed to be going back home. So Tamar is beginning to, to suspect that Judah is up to no good. But notice what it says here. It says, lest peradventure he die also. So as far as Judah is concerned, why does he think that the two boys have died? Because of this woman. This girl is taboo. Do you understand? She's been responsible for me losing how many boys now? Two boys. And I'm not about to give her the third one. There's something wrong with this girl. You understand? Something desperately wrong. My two boys died. I got a third one. And I'm not about to give them to her. Lest he also die. So he, he uh, creates an alibi and says, go back home and uh, when the boy has grown up, then you can have him as your husband. He had no intention of doing that. So she goes back home. Notice verse 12. In the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was now comforted and went up to uh, take care of his sheep. Judah now becomes a widower. He's not married now, um, and he's doing his business. And he comes across a young woman that he thinks is a harlot and offers to hire her, and she consents but says, look, what are you going to pay me? And uh, he says, uh, what do you want me to pay you? Well, she said, give me your bracelet and give me your, your staff. Okay. So... He does his thing. She does her thing. He goes his way, and she goes her way. Well, in the process of time, he decides, I better pay this girl lest we get embarrassed. So he sends a sheep that he promised, only to discover that there's no such thing as a harlot in that area. And when the, the friend begins to look for the harlot, she can't be found, and goes back to Judah and said, hey, there's no such thing as a harlot around there. And so he says, well, let's be quiet about it. Let's not say anything lest we be embarrassed by this whole thing. Well, it isn't long. It doesn't take long for a lady to begin to show that she is expecting. And so it was discovered by the family that Tamer was pregnant. Now, in those days, if you committed adultery, what was the sentence? It was death. And so the scripture says then that, that there's a message sent to, uh, to Judah. And the message is that uh, your daughter-in-law, she is found expecting. She has played a harlot. And uh, verse 24, you see that. And it says, also she is with child by Hudum. And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be what? Burned. This is a bad girl. Now, so far, I think you've noticed that this is a dysfunctional family. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Okay, this family is dysfunctional. Okay, first of all, 
Judah is not supposed to be married to a Canaanite, and he gets married to a Canaanite. And then he gives his child, his children to another Canaanite, and the both boys die. And now the third boy, he keeps away from this the Canaanite girl because somehow he gets spooked, and he must think, okay, there must have been a reason why we shouldn't get married to the Canaanites. You die off when you marry to them, see? So he's, he's not going to give his third girl now, pardon me, his third boy to this girl. Well, here's the problem. The problem is this, that apparently... This girl has become a Hebrew in thinking. Apparently, this girl has an understanding that the Messiah is to come through the seed of the woman. And she is feeling like she is being gypped, cheated, from the opportunity of perhaps bringing into the world the Messiah. And she is going to do all that she can to make sure that she is not bypassed from the privilege of possibly being one of those that brings the Messiah to the world. Which means then that in her heart she was a believer. A what? A believer. Is it possible for a Canaanite to become a believer? What's the answer? Is it possible for a pagan to become a believer? Yes. Absolutely so. Is it possible for an atheist to become a believer? Yes. yes. And so she then in her heart longs to participate in this prophetic uh, picture that had been uh, presented through the Hebrew line. And she gets pregnant. And now she is sentenced to death because she is doing what she knew to be right. Who was the one who was doing wrong? It was Judah. She was doing what was right. Now, she was supposed to have Sheila to be her husband. And she was defrauded of that. She was defrauded of that by the second boy. And Judah then was responsible to make sure that this thing took place. And he was shirking his responsibility. And so, when she was brought to... Uh, be burned, she simply said, here is the staff and the bracelet. These are things of the guy who made me pregnant. You check it out and see who it belongs to. Well, it says then, verse 26, Judah acknowledged them and said, she hath been more righteous than I. You see that? All of a sudden, the Jewish mind awakens. You understand what I'm saying? All of a sudden, they, he realizes that this girl really has more uh, a sense of responsibility and has values that he himself has neglected. And uh, she, she, even though she did it in a way that I don't recommend, <laughs> in those days, she was supposed to be honored by this man who promised and failed to keep his promise. And so when she became pregnant, the scripture says that she had uh, two children. One of those boys, in verse 29, notice it says that there were two children. One was born, born his name was Phares, and the other one was Zara. 
Now, if you go back to Matthew chapter 1, you'll discover that Phares happens to become a great-great-grandfather of King David. Now, can God turn a terrible situation into a good situation? What do you say? From a dysfunctional family, did you hear what I said? From a what? From a dysfunctional family, God brings forth a great-grandfather of the Messiah. Isn't that marvelous? What do you say? Uh, It's amazing. God takes this completely chaotic situation, and out of the chaos, he brings order. Amazing. That's why, uh, and I've been noticing Sue running around (laughs) like a chicken without her head. And... uh, Have you noticed that? She crouches down and runs over here, and she crouches down and runs over there. And uh, she's trying to keep all things together, and all of a sudden she realizes, I can't do it. But then she said, the Lord did it. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? I remember uh, hearing that there were only about 51 uh, persons that had registered, and I'm sure that her heart was failing. And all of a sudden, from 51, it went up to 174. How does that happen? Well, she didn't do it. Who did it? The Lord did it. Amen. So God can bring order out of chaos. What do you say? And so here God brought order out of chaos. The Canaanite woman, the pagan woman, becomes a, a progenitor of the Messiah that was to come to the world. God honored her desires because her desires were right. It was the Adventist that was wrong. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In other words, it was the believer, because the word Adventist believes in the second coming, right? That's what the word means, yes or no? Uh, That's why during Easter or during Christmas, they they use the term the Advent. Okay, it means the the coming, all right? Well, they believe in the coming, because the promises had been given uh, to Jacob, and Jacob had g- given the promises to his children. They believed in the coming, but somehow they'd forgotten about the coming, but it took a Canaanite to bring them back to their senses. Amen. Will you say amen to that? Amen. And that's why Jesus says, even the rock shall cry out. Amen. Even the what? Rock. So if you're not doing what you ought to be doing, guess what? Somebody else will do it. Yes. Somebody inferior. Hmm. Somebody what? Inferior. Well, Tamer. We go to the next lady. And you notice I'm calling them ladies, right? But the Bible is not calling them ladies. Rahab. We go to Rahab. Now, Rahab, the young lady Rahab, she is actually found in the book of Joshua. And so let's go to Joshua. Okay? Joshua chapter 2 is the story of, of Rahab. And she is introduced here in, in a, the setting where uh, the Israelites are, have crossed the Jordan and uh, now they are going to, to uh, take the, the, the first city that they encounter as they enter in to capture the land of Canaan. Actually, the land of Canaan belonged to them God had promised it to them, but other people took it over. And these other people were not about to give it back to the Israelites. And so God sent the Israelites, and the first city was Jericho. 
Jericho was a fortified, a very heavily fortified city. And uh, you have a, a group of slaves who are coming with, their, with whatever sticks and uh, stones they have to uh, deal with a city that's heavily fortified and well-established and uh, well-trained army. But what's amazing about this is that, first of all, spies are sent out to try to make sure that they got uh, the, the stats on the city uh, and all the information necessary to make the appropriate attack. When those two spies came into Jericho, the scripture introduces us into this girl uh, in verse 3. Uh, it says then that there's a, a girl, verse 1, pardon me, there's a girl named Rahab. But the scripture says that they came into the harlot's house. The whose house? Harlot's house. Uh, and uh, when they entered into this harlot's house, in verse 3, the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they are become to search out all the country. So already these people had intelligence operating in their behalf. And they already knew that they were spies who were trying to figure out uh, the land and how it, how it was lying and, and what to do. And so they sent to Rahab. Now, Rahab, the Bible says, is a harlot. And it'd be interesting for, for you to know that the Canaanites uh, and these people actually have a, uh, you can trace their, their line back to Genesis chapter 10. So let's look at Genesis chapter 10 and verse 15 so you can get an idea as to where the Canaanites actually came from. Genesis chapter 10 verse 15, the Bible says, And Canaan begot Sidon his firstborn. Can you see that? And Heph, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Gergesites, and the Hivites, and the Archites and the Sinites, and the Arkvadites, and the Semarites, and the Hamathites. And afterward were the families of the Canaanites, what? Spread abroad. So the Canaanites actually came from whom? From Ham. From whom? Ham. Don't get misled by the term Canaanites. It doesn't mean they came from Cain. Cain is spelled C-A-I-N. This is C-A-N. Say Canaanites, all right? So they actually come from him. Now, how do I know they come from him? Because the Bible tells me so. All right. Now, verse 19 and 20. Verse what? 19 and 20. Here's what it says. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as thou cometh to Gerard, and uh, unto Gaza as thou goeth unto so uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abna, and Seboin, even unto Lasha. In verse 20, these are the sons of Ham. There you have it. They're the sons of who? Ham. Ham. These are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. So, where does Rahab come from? From Ham. Exactly. And who was Ham? Ham was the son of Noah. All right. Now, it's mind-boggling. How is it possible that a young man who experiences a father who for 120 years builds an ark, is the head elder of the church, all right, and uh, 
And they grow up in this environment, and uh, they hear Noah preaching about the end of the world is going to come, and there's a flood coming, we're building the ark for this purposes. And these boys are helping dad build that ark, okay? Then all of a sudden, they see birds flying without anybody guiding them into the ark. Then they see animals coming by themselves into the ark. And finally, God says to, to Noah, uh, close the door. And so they go inside, the door's closed, and the flood comes. And they hear the, the boat reeking and beginning to roll and beginning to move and finally rise. And they hear all the turbulence outside. And perhaps they can hear the people screaming and yelling, asking to, for, to get the entrance into the boat. They hear all this, okay? And finally the boat lands on dry ground. And they come out and they see that everything is destroyed. And then God promises them that he's going to put a, something called an, a rainbow up there in the skies. All right? And so they see the rainbow. Who's seeing the rainbow? Why? The three boys are seeing the rainbow, right? And that rainbow was a promise that God would not destroy the world with a flood again. Now, if you were one of those boys, seeing all those miracles and realizing that God was the one who did all this after the flood, would you be faithful or unfaithful? Hmm? So, how is it possible... That somebody can experience all those miracles, see what God has done, and depart from God. Is it possible? Yes or no? Sad to say it is possible. Friends, God does not hold people hostage against their will. Do you hear what I said? God does not what? Hold people hostage against the will. God gives us all choice. And it must be demonstrated that we choose for him. It is our choice. God has created us a free moral agent, and we must choose. Now, here's this girl then who descends from Ham, because Ham, unfortunately, becomes an illicit, immoral individual. He is the one that sees his dad naked and laughs at his dad. In other words, he had no respect for his father. How much respect? None respect for his father. And uh, he's the one then that, that from him is where you get the Tower of Babel, all right? And from him you get Nimrod. And from him now you have the Canaanites. And so all of these people who are dwelling in the land of Canaan are actually descendants of Ham. And so Rahab is not out of line with the practice that had been bequeathed to her from her great-great-grandfather. Now, we don't know how old Rahab is. I do know this, that in those countries, even today, unfortunately, harlots may be as young as 12, 13 years old. You can go to India, and the harlots are that young. Can you imagine you having a daughter that is that young who is being encouraged? Because in those days, that's what happened. The families encouraged their daughters, just as it's happening today, to become harlots to make money for the family. But what's amazing about this particular young girl, even though she comes from that background, and even though the people in those days were pretty, have become pretty, pretty degraded. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do this. And those of you who are viewing on television, I want to ask you to do this. 
Just read for yourself Leviticus chapter 18. Turn to Leviticus chapter 18 if you have your Bibles and look at verse 22 to 25. Leviticus 18, 22 to 25. I'll let you read it to yourself. Uh, I'll give you a, a, a moment here to read it to yourself so you can understand the depravity, the, 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 the low condition that these people had lowered themselves to. Okay, Leviticus 18, verse 22, 23, 24, and 25. And I want you to notice then, that God does not hide the fact that these people have become highly demoralized. These people have become uh, practicing bestiality. Uh, they were, uh, they were, they were um, just degraded people, warlike people, people who, who, uh, who did not resemble at all that which came out of the ark. And it was all because of one boy planting the wrong seed. Rahab must have been a young girl. And the scripture says then that when those spies came in, her profession, if we could call it that, was that of being a harlot. But I want you to note something interesting here. Uh, notice what Rahab says, which gives us an indication that this girl, though she was confined to a, a situation that was... Uh, that was quite, quite uh, detestable. Notice, however, what she says to the spies. I'm reading chapter 2, verse 11 of Joshua. Chapter 2, verse 11. Notice what it says. As soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Now, notice the, the phrase. For the Lord your God. Notice what it says. For the Lord your God. He is God where? In heaven and where else? And in the earth. Now, are these words that you expect to hear from a Canaanite prostitute? Yes or no? Which means then that obviously this girl, though she grew up in a very detestable environment, deep inside she had longings that were pure. I don't know how many of you can remember when you were children. And whether or not there was a, a, a time in your life that you were impressed with the desire to be gods. Any of you? I remember when I was a little boy, I just went to Puerto Rico last weekend. Uh, I, I went there to try to recruit nurses for Guam. And while I was there, my older brother uh, flew over there. And uh, he showed me the area where I was born which doesn't exist any longer, by the way. And he was uh, explaining to me, this is where this took place, and this is where mom did this, and this is where this happened and that happened. Uh, unfortunately, I could remember some of the, the experiences, which were not very positive, but one of the positive experiences that I remember was that there was an announcement that a church was going to be built. And by the way, he took me by that church, and that church uh, is still standing. It was a Catholic church. My mother happened to be of Catholic faith, and uh, she was a woman who had great, great, great faith in God. And she prayed often. She had to. She had six boys. But anyway, uh, the announcement went out that this church was going to be built. And I was so excited about that that I, I, I actually offered to straighten nails because they got these old nails from other places, you know, and they were all crooked and bent. And, 
And so they would pay us a penny a pail. And so we then, at the age of five, okay, so I'm a five-year-old kid uh, with the only tool I had was a big stone in the bottom and a stone on the top. And I took the, the particular uh, nails and I would straighten them out, okay? And I was so excited that I was going to be able to, to contribute to the building of the church. And I was glad to see the church that I actually contributed to. I did fill a pail of, of, uh, of nails. And I remember the first service that took place in that church. And the first service was very, very impressive to me. I, I can remember the little altar boys. I had never seen altar boys before. You know, they, they, they dressed in white, you know, and, uh, and they followed behind the priest with their hands in the shape of prayer. And as they were walking behind the priest, I'll never forget the, the, the thought that came to my mind. I wish I could be as holy as those boys. What age? Five. I wish I could be as holy as those boys. Let me say this to you. In my environment that I, where I grew up, as I said the other day, was very, very, very poor. Terrible, terrible poverty there. My dad had run off with a, uh, my mother had brought in a friend who didn't have a place to stay, and that friend then uh, repaid my mother for her goodness by running off with her husband. So my dad uh, was a womanizer. And uh, so that's the environment where I, was, I came into this, this life. Uh, it was actually called El Fanguito, which means the little mud place. And it was literally the mud place. The, the houses were out in stilks, and there was no, no sanitary conditions. The bathrooms were simply just uh, letting things drop down in the, in the bay water. And that's what we played in. That's what we walked in. We had no shoes. We had to walk in, in that stuff to get into our house or should I say the shack. The shack was made out of tin and card turns, cardboards and whatever that she could find to put together. That's where I came into this world. So I came into a very dysfunctional family. Do you understand what I'm saying? And a very poor situation. But in spite of all that, there was in me a what? A desire for what? For holiness. Where does that come from? It comes from above. Okay. I had that desire. I did not know how to fulfill it. I had no idea it could be done. But nonetheless, I had the desire. And I believe that Rahab was a young girl who was a victim of her circumstances. She was a victim of her environment. And in spite of her situation, she had a longing that was pure. I know that, that your God is a God of heaven and of earth. That is a statement of faith and belief. And I want you to notice, I, I don't want to spend all the afternoon here on this subject, but I want you to notice the result, the outcome of that. Uh, when the, the spies committed themselves to honor their, their pledge to Rahab, because Rahab said, look, when you destroy the city, I want you to keep us alive. They said, okay, we'll do that. You hang out a cord outside the window, and when we come back, if that cord is there, then uh, we'll save you. So they came back, and sure enough, the walls came tumbling down. Do you remember that? And when the walls fell down, the Bible says that her house or her apartment, wherever she lived, was attached to the wall. So it must be that the only part of the city wall that did not tumble was the place where Rahab was. Okay? Now, 
And I also want you to notice this, that when uh, they went in to find Rahab, what do you think they found? I want you to look at verse 23 now, chapter 6. Verse 23, chapter 6. I want you to notice what it says. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them out without the camp of Israel. So the prostitute becomes the evangelist. What do you say? In other words, the, the little harlot, the one who was to be rejected by the Israelites because she was a, a, a young woman practicing something that in those days she would be stoned for. Just like Tamar was supposed to be burnt. You remember that? She is living in sin, but in spite of that, inside of her, she has a longing to live right, and God honored that. And when uh, she then got that commitment from the spies, she must have gone out and started talking to her family, first of all. And got her family converted. You understand? And then she must have gone to her cousins and aunties and aunts because it says all her kindred. How much? All. all her kindred. Boy, I wish all of us could be that successful in evangelism. What do you say? That we can win all of our kindred, our second cousin, the third cousins. And by the way, in America, in America, we've lost that sense of family. We've lost that sense of family. When I grew up as a little boy, my first cousin was a cousin. My second cousin was a cousin. My third cousin was a cousin. Over here, if you're a third cousin, they say third cousin far removed. Right? Third removed, you know. Yeah, we don't know for family. Now, some, sometimes, some, some distance out there. But friends, in those days, Rahab did all she could to reach all her family. And the Bible records that the prostitute, the reject, becomes the evangelist. Ah, the great mercy of God, what do you say? Amen. The power of the Almighty to do things that are beyond our thinking. Well, what does Rahab become? Rahab becomes one of the great-great-grandmothers of King David and, of course, one of the great-great-grandmothers of the Messiah. Now, I want you to notice that in, in, the, in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, it mentions uh, this girl uh, in the great, great uh, book of faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and I want you to notice how, how she's mentioned. Notice it says in verse 31, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. It says, by faith, who? What does it say there? Chapter 11, verse 31. And those of you in the TV land, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. Notice what it says. By faith, the what? The harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with, with peace. So the Bible says that she was an unbeliever or a believer? She was a believer. She was a believer. And when the opportunity came for her to cast a lot, what did she do? She cast a lot on the Lord's side. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have filled out resumes? Any of you? For a job. CVs, etc. And how many of you have put in your CV, my grandmother was a prostitute? <laughs> Any of you? No. <laughs> Normally, what do we do in our resumes? We try to put in how great we are, you know, how this company is going to benefit by having me part of their company. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. Yes or no? Yeah. yeah. Not one of us will say, well, you know, 
My dad was a, was a womanizer, and my, my mother was a prostitute, and my great-grandmother was a prostitute. No one puts that in there. But I want you to notice something different. God is not ashamed to call this woman, who was a prostitute, a woman of faith and a believer in him. And he's not ashamed to write her in the, the list of, of genealogy, pointing to the reality that she is his great-great-great-grandmother. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Which said something about your Lord and Savior. What do you say? Amen. He is not ashamed to call you brethren. He is not ashamed to call you brethren. Well, time gives us a little opportunity to speak about Ruth. So let's go to Ruth. You want to go to Ruth? Yeah. All right. Ruth uh, is found, of course, in the book of Ruth. And... Uh, that's a little a small book back in the Old Testament. And uh, it is introduced uh, by, by a, a family. The family, uh, Naomi and her husband and her uh, two boys. Uh, there's a great famine in Israel. So they then go over to the land of the Moabites. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Moabites were, were great enemies of the Hebrews. Uh, the Moabites were the ones who tried to bring uh, Balaam to curse Israel uh, as they were trying to make their way to the land of Canaan. But who were the Moabites? Uh, where did they come from? Because it says then that Ruth is a Moabite. A what? A Moabite. Uh, now, you know the story. It says that the two boys got married to two girls. And then uh, after a, a time, the, the two boys die, the husband dies, and Ruth is, I mean, Naomi is left with Ruth and the other girl. And then uh, Naomi says, look, I'm too old, I can't have a boy, and if I had the boy, by the time he grows up, you guys will be too old anyway to have children, so go back to your home. I can't do anything for you. And one of the girls decides that she would return home, but Ruth would not return home. And Ruth simply says that wonderful, wonderful statement that is put into music, Where thou goeth, I will go. Where thou lieth, I will lie. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. That is a great statement of faith. What do you say? But, but in order to help you to see the dichotomy, I want you to, to, to notice Genesis chapter 19. So let's look at Genesis chapter 19 and see where this girl springs out from. Genesis chapter 19. Uh, in Genesis chapter 19, there's a city called uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, which you, I'm sure by now, recognize that it is part of the Sodomites uh, and part of the Canaanites. The actual Sodomites uh, and people from Gomorrah were Canaanites who came from Ham. Okay, so in chapter 19 then, we're told that Lot, who? Lot. Lot. Uh, God is warning, and the angels tell Lot, you, you need to leave the city because the city's going to be destroyed. And so the, uh, Lot lingers, and the angels grab them by their hand and moves them out. And Lot's wife, unfortunately, disobeys the angel, looks back and turns them to a pillar of salt. The two girls then remain with Lot, and they go and hide in some cave. Now, while they're in that cave, one of the girls begins to think, and she says, look, uh, we're in trouble. And the other girl says, why? Well, because there's no man that we can have children by. In other words, 
Dad is the last one. He's the last of the Mohicans. This is where it stops. Okay? It doesn't go any, any beyond that. And so she decides uh, with the sister to plot something together. And so what do they do? Verse 34, And it came to pass in the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesterday night with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. What do they want to do? They want to preserve seed of their father. Now, is this the way that God would have it? This is called what in today's language? Incest. What is it called? Incest. Now, uh, they, have, they have babies, okay? And, and I want you to, to notice, however, verse 37, the firstborn bear a son and call his name, what's the name? Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites. So where does Ruth come from? Hmm? From incest. From where? Incest. That's a deplorable Reputation, what do you say? Something that, that people would be shamed about. Is that true? Yes or no? And so this young girl comes from incest. Now, however, in spite of the fact that she comes out of incest and the Moabites, the Bible reveals then that this girl has a longing. What's her longing? Where you go, I will go. Where you lie, I will go. Apparently what happened was that she was so taken by the, by the influence of Naomi that her heart was, was so impressed that she decided that this woman, in spite of all the terrible things that has happened to her, she is still faithful to her God. That's the God I want to serve. See? If this woman can still hang on to her God, I need to get myself connected with that God. And so she did, and she went with Naomi back to Israel. And the scripture reveals then that because Ruth was faithful, God blessed her, and she had a son, and that son then became the grandfather of King David. Is that amazing? So far, what have you seen? You have seen women who actually are rejects of society. All right? And what does God make of them? She makes of them evangelists because through their lives and through their experiences, you and I have been greatly benefited because the Messiah has come. Amen. And without them, the Messiah would not have come. God purposed to give you and me hope. To what? Hope. Give you and me hope that irrespective of where we've come from, irrespective of our background, Irrespective of our frailties, our sins, our immorality, irrespective of how wretched we have been, if we turn to God, God can convert us from rejects to soul winners and evangelists. What do you say? God can change our lots. He can make temples out of ruins. And that's the next girl. Her name was Bathsheba. Notice what it says, Bath, B-A-T-H. She, Ba, and that's what David should have said. She bah. See, she's taking a bath. Bah. <laughs> but instead of doing that, what did he do? The Bible says he lingered and he got tempted and he fell into temptation and they had a child out of wedlock. 
And then he tried to cover it up, as you know the story, and that child died. But what's amazing is this. Obviously, David repented and was reconverted to God. And that's why we get the Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. Bathsheba must have also been converted to God. Because from David and Bathsheba, another boy is born. And that boy is named Solomon. And so who was Solomon? Why, Solomon was the one who built the temple in Jerusalem. You see, God took from that horrible circumstances, from that miserable situation that, uh, that brought ruin to David and, and to Bathsheba and to the Israelites. Because they repented and turned back to God, God took the ruins and out of the ruins built a beautiful temple. That's glorious, what do you say? It is glorious. Listen, my dad left my mother, as I said, and uh, abandoned her. He left that other woman and went with a third woman. But that third woman had a longing for God, and she began to take Bible studies. And through her, my dad became converted. They came back to New York City and began to witness to us. And after 10 years, one of my brothers became a Christian. Then the next one, then the next one, the next one, next one, next one, next one. Finally, my mother herself became a, a Christian. And by God's grace, out of the terrible ruins of our lives, God made a wonderful experience for us. All of us. How many of us? All, All of us have become Christian believers in the true God of heaven. And as a result, many of myself, I became a minister. My brother became a minister. My other brother became a teacher. All of us are soul winners. And by God's grace, we have sought to bring others to the faith of Christ because of what God has done for us. If God can take my miserable background and turn me into a preacher, certainly God can do the same for you. What do you say? Now listen, I'm going to make an appeal here this morning. It's time to make an appeal. You've heard a lot of messages. And first, let me speak to those of you who perhaps have been are hurting. Perhaps you, you have been a victim of circumstances. I remember a young girl who told me how she hated her father, her grandfather, because her grandfather had been abusing her since he was a little girl. And uh, when she grew up to be a woman, she felt dirty because of what had happened to her life. And I said to her, I said, listen, as long as you dwell in the past, you'll be in the past. But God wants you to live in the future and leave your past behind. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Listen, it doesn't matter where you come from. What matters is where you're going. Do you hear that? It doesn't matter where you've come from. It matters where you're going. And perhaps there are people here today who, who experience whatever has experienced in your life. There are many of us that have skeletons in our closets that we wish nobody ever, ever discovered they were there. But listen, folks, we live in a world of sin. We have found three girls who God has not covered the reality that they came from dysfunctional families. They came from a horrible circumstances. And yet God took those women and lifted them up and cleansed their lives and made them honorable women. So much so that Rahab is mentioned in a great list of faithful people. Rahab, a harlot, by faith. It is faith that takes you from where you were to where God wants you to be. 
So I wonder today, as you've been hearing the messages and you've been thinking about your own past, perhaps you have felt like a reject. Perhaps you have felt like, uh, will God accept me? How can I separate from that which has happened in the past and actually live in the future? My friends, God can do that for you. But like these girls, you have to believe. You have to what? You have to believe. So I'm going to ask you, perhaps some of you have been troubled by things that happened in the past. You haven't been able to separate from them, whatever it is. And this morning you like to say, Lord, you're speaking to me. I've been hanging on to these things in the past. Wrongs have been done to me. And today you're calling me to leave them behind. Put them behind me. And begin to focus on what you can do for me, what you can make out of me. Is there somebody who would like to lift up their hand and say, Lord, I, uh, I want to do that. Amen. Amen. Perhaps there's somebody here also who, who uh, has wanted to serve God, like I did when I was a little boy. But things in life have detoured you. You've been distracted. But as you're here, you begin to feel a warming up again. Hope is coming alive. You mean God can use me? Yes, God can use you. But you must take that step like those young women. Being willing to say, Lord, my past has been a miserable past. And unfortunately, many times I've participated in my past. But I want to serve you. Maybe some of you young men have been, come, feel, been feeling the call to minister for God. And you say, well, Lord, I didn't think it was possible. But today I see it is. With you, anything is possible. And you'd like to come forward and commit yourself to God's service. Would you come up wherever you are and just come forward? Will you do that just now? Amen. And young ladies, you're not the only ones that need to be sitting. If God is calling you as young ladies to serve God also, why not come forward and say, Lord, I didn't think it was possible, but I see this morning that it is possible. With you, all things are possible, and I want to serve you. Would you come forward? And then I'm going to call for those of you who, who have believed in your hearts in the Lord, but you have never been baptized. And this morning, you'd like to take that stand. Maybe you've been holding back for some reason. But today, you'd like to say, Lord, I want to commit myself to you, and I want to plan to be baptized. I want to seal my life in Christ and uh, make a complete commitment to him. Are there others who like to come? I know, friends, that when I made my decision, it was a hard thing to do. I sat where you were sitting, and I remember the pastor, E.L. Minchin, was making a call for anyone who wanted to serve God in ministry. And as I sat way back there, 
For some reason, a coldness came over me. I began to shiver. Actually, my teeth were chattering. And my brother Willie looked at me. I said, what's going on? I couldn't talk because my teeth were chattering. And uh, I had, just like this coldness came over me. I began to shiver. And I didn't know why. Church was warm, just like it's warm here. I was shaking. And then all of a sudden, I, I realized that God wanted me to, because I could feel the calling in my heart. But then I realized that the Satan did not want me to. The devil was holding me back. And I decided to stand up. And when I stood up, that trembling left me. That coldness left me. And I was able to go forward. And friends, I can tell you, I've never turned back from that moment. I decided I would serve God some way or another. And I'm still serving the Lord. Glory be to his name. And so, if there's still someone here in the audience who's shaking and trembling, and you sense that God is speaking to you, and you just are having a battle about it, why not just stand? And once you stand, you'll find the victory, and you can come forward and make that commitment too. And those of you who are in TV land who are watching, Perhaps you can make your commitment where you are at home. Perhaps you come from the same situation that these girls have come from. Dysfunctional families, bad backgrounds, abandoned by parents. Perhaps your dad, mom have been a drunks, drug addicts. And perhaps you felt like God won't have you. The reality is God will have you, just like he had these girls but you have to respond to him. And so one last call here in the audience. Is there one more who would like to stand and say yes to the Lord? And then we'd like to have prayer. Amen. Let's bow our heads together and pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we marvel at how you can take chaos and make it glory. We just marvel at the reality that you are God. And Lord, we stand here this morning to thank you that in spite of our circumstances, we don't have to look to the back, but we can look forward. We can look forward to the time when we'll walk at streets of gold, We'll be surrounded by all those who have sought to love you and serve you. And everything will be beauty. Father, and then you will be the light of that city and the Lamb. We look forward to that day when our little dirty feet can walk on pure gold. We thank you, Father, that you can lift us up, that you can take us from darkness into this marvelous light. Now these have committed themselves to you. And I pray, Father, that by your grace, you'll bless them. Give them that victory. Help them to separate from the past and help them to live into the present and the future. May they become all that you want them to be. Lord, use them for your service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.